Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Inside the Law. I am your host, Lily, and today I am joined by Oliver Olinoff, a seasoned legal professional with over 11 years of experience, who serves as the Chief Operating Officer at General Counsel, EECS. In his current role, he oversees all facets of unclaimed property examinations from initial conferences to state complaint reporting, demonstrating a strong commitment to data security and confidentiality. With a background in representing prestigious clients in intricate commercial and financial matters, as well as handling high-profile investigations by governmental agencies, Oliver brings a wealth of experience to his role as the main liaison between the EECS and holder institutions, ensuring the efficient deployment of resources for unclaimed property audits. Okay, welcome, Ollie. Thank you for being here. Um, so just to begin, what first drew you to becoming a lawyer? So I, I think I um, had thought about it for uh, a few years when I was in college um, that I wanted um, uh, a professional degree of some sort. And I think law um, was the logical choice for me. I always enjoyed um arguments and but in a night in a in a kind of a fun way I like the idea of trying to sort of uh, debate people and um, I enjoyed speaking and crafting arguments and coming up with theories and I think helping people also was something that was of interest to me and so I would say starting in high school was when I first thought about it and then as I got into college it just seemed like the logical choice. Got it. Were there like classes in college that you took that like maybe sparked that for you? Like, or like, did your major in college kind of have to do with law? So my major didn't really, um, but I did take a class called Legal Studies 101, which was in the business school, um, which was kind of like a introduction to law school type of class. They used something called the Socratic method. I don't know if you've ever heard of that before, but that's where they sort of call on you even if you're ready or not. And um, it was fun. It was a it was a good experience. We read cases. Now that I think back on it, it actually was a pretty realistic representation of a little bit of a taste of what law school is like. For sure. Got it. And where'd you go to law school? I went to Penn for law school and I went there also for college. Got it. And what was it like for you? Was it like was it what you expected? Was it different than what you expected? Did it, like, did it meet your expectations? So we're talking about law school now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah law school. Um, so it was hard. Um, the first year of law school was definitely the most academically challenging year of any of my years of schooling. And I, I wouldn't say it was particularly close either. It had a little bit of a feeling of boot camp. Um, I was in the same classroom with the same uh, students for all of my classes. Um, we were in school for most of the day every day. We were back to having lockers, um, which I never had in college. Um, and it was really intense. Um, it was, it. I, I remember having to learn to sort of think in a different way, learn to write in a different way. Um, in retrospect, I think it was great training, but it was there was definitely some growing pains at the beginning in terms of uh, adjusting to um, 
a very specific system of, of ways of thinking and writing when college, I think, was much more wide open and, you know, you could kind of a lot, there were a lot of different pathways to success there. Got it, for sure. And what would you say that some of the biggest lessons that you learned in law school were and have you used them um, today, like in your, at your job or in your, in your daily life? I don't know. You know, the law school experience itself, I don't know that it taught me a ton practically. I think that the first job that I had out of law school taught me probably a lot more than the law school experience itself. Maybe it taught me a little bit around how to think critically. I think it taught me um, a little bit about hard work and the importance of hard work. I think some of the writing style that I learned there was definitely helpful when I got to uh, a law firm. Um, uh, yeah, so I would say probably the mode of thinking and then a little bit of the practical skills, but most of the practical skills I think came later. For sure. And could you sort of explain like the process of like post law school, like finding a job and like how, like how you found like a firm to work at and like your job post law school? Sure. So um, this is going to vary significantly based on the law school that you go to. So I think not all law school experiences are the same when it comes to this. So um, at Penn, the all of the law firms came to Philadelphia and to meet with the students. And you basically would put your name down. And if you wanted an interview with the law firm, you got it basically, just by virtue of having come from Penn. Um, and the, the they didn't even have an opportunity to look at your grades. I remember that that was sort of a benefit of, you know, having been at Penn was that for the first round interview, anyone who wanted one. So if you wanted to interview with the most competitive law firm, you could do that. And then, you know, in some ways, it may have been a waste of your time and their time if they saw your grades and they weren't very good. But that was the way that the system worked. Um, then if things were successful, you would be invited back to whatever city that law firm was based in to do a second round interview. Uh, sometimes there would be dinners involved, lunches involved. Um, typically, all of those interviews were concentrated into one week. So you would get a week off from school to go and do the interviews. Um, and if you were going to New York, you would go and stay at a hotel in New York and do five days of interviews. If you were going to you know, Los Angeles or Chicago, you probably did the same thing. You may have jumped around from city to city. And then at that point, you would get your offers. Um, and at the time that I uh was doing that the the economy was very good and law firms were giving out offers um plentifully and um you know there were a lot of opportunities and was this process all all throughout your senior year was it in law school no so the so the so law school's three years okay. so it was um it, it, it starts at the very beginning of your second year. So you um, you interview at the beginning of your second year for a summer internship at the end of your second year. And then if that goes well, you then go back to law school for your third year and you uh, start working um, at the end of your third year after you take the bar. Um, 
So that's the way the experience works for some law schools. I think, you know, it's going to be drastically different depending on the law school that you go to. That's just sort of one slice of how it works at the very big law firms with some law schools. Got it. Um, so just to sort of like shift to like your current job now, could you sort of explain what your area of expertise is now and um, how it's sort of a mix of like a lawyer and also a businessman? Sure. So um, the the current company that I work at um, is a government contracting firm. So our customers are state treasuries, which are the entities within each state government that are responsible for administering unclaimed property. So what is unclaimed property? What we're talking about here is not land or physical property that you can hold, but it's money, basically. It's either stocks or it's cash. Um, it, it's basically some form of one of those two things um, to, to sort of simplify it. My role on a day-to-day -day basis is truly a hybrid role in that um, I'm tasked with running the company, but I'm also the chief legal officer of the company and am responsible for all legal matters that arise with the company. The way that our work, so our job is to audit private companies on behalf of the state governments to make sure that they are complying with the unclaimed property laws for a particular state. Um, so the, the, the heaviest legal component of that is making sure that we understand and are properly interpreting the state laws or statutes that are in place um, and so that we can apply them correctly when looking at how a particular company is complying with the laws. So if we don't understand the laws, it's impossible for us to do our job to make sure that the company that we're auditing is properly interpreting the laws themselves. Got it. And what portion of your role would you say is more business focused or like you think it's more heavily like law focused or like, like we say that your day is more trying to run which which one? Uh, I would say it's probably 70-30 with the 70 being business and the 30 being law. So a big part of my day is running the operations of the business. So making sure that, um, you know, the employees are properly staffed, that everybody has enough work, but not too much work, making sure that we are we have a, a steady pipeline of business coming through, that we have enough audits to keep ourselves busy, that the audits are running in a manner that is, you know, correct. That's, um, you know, uh, my, I have obviously, um, I have a set of investors that I have to re uh, report into to make sure that they're happy with the performance of the business. Um, you know, so those are those are many of the big things. But I think the biggest thing on a day to day basis that I'm responsible for is overseeing the auditors and the audit audit managers to make sure that they are conducting the day to day work that we're supposed to be doing correctly. A part of that is making sure that they're interpreting the laws correctly, going over the laws with them, interpreting the laws correctly. Uh, but that's only a part of it. Got it. And in terms of law, would you say that you interface with any other lawyers like, like during your job or like on your day-to-day -day job? 
Definitely. Um, so the the most common lawyers, so the companies that we audit will often hire lawyers to represent them in the course of the audits that we conduct. So I will often interface with those lawyers who are representing the best interests of their clients and are trying to defend their clients in the course of the audit. So they might take a position that we then have to negotiate with them to see if we can reach a common ground on how the audit should proceed or how the particular issue should proceed. The other lawyers we interface with are lawyers that work directly for the state governments that are our customers. So we might interface with them around a statutory interpretation question uh, around, a, uh, we have contracts with them. So we have to make sure that the con contractual language is correct. Um, and then, um, yeah, I would say those are the those are sort of the main pieces. Got it. And could you briefly explain the significance of um, unclaimed property examinations and their impact on state and business um, government or businesses and state governments? Yeah. So um, even though most people don't know what unclaimed property is, or they they may have heard of it, but they don't really know the full significance of it, um, it it's a really important consumer protection function that exists in our society. And what I mean by that is um, people lose track of their their accounts and funds all the time. We're we are in an increasingly electronic society where people have a variety of different accounts at different places and uh, keeping track of them is not the easiest thing to do and so having a central place where the where your missing funds are aggregated is kind of the key purpose of unclaimed property so rather than it being your responsibility 10, 15, 20 years after you've lost track of the property to remember where you had that account, you can go to one place, the state government, put in your name into a website and find your property. And so um, th that's the purpose of the unclaimed property laws is to make sure that you as the citizen of a particular state have a place to go to be able to find your funds at a later date and collect them completely. And in most states, um, you can do that pretty much forever. So if you die, your heirs can do it. If they die, their heirs can do it, as long as they have the the appropriate paperwork to um, to be able to prove that they're entitled to the funds. Um, so that that's the key piece. And then our small role in this is to make sure that that process is is being policed to some extent, and to make sure that the the various private companies that have unclaimed property are turning it over and that they're turning it over when they're supposed to be without taking unnecessary fees out of it without you know trying to take the money for themselves i mean there are a variety of reasons why they might not turn it over um, but that's sort of the role that we play Got it. And you mentioned data and sorry, you mentioned accounts and funds. How would you, how do you guys ensure um, security and confidentiality of the data during unclaimed property examinations? Great question. So um, this is obviously a, a, a huge priority for us and something that um, is a big focus of our day to day. So we ourselves are subject to audit and uh, sit for a specific type of certification on an annual basis, which is called a SOC 2 type 2 certification. 
um, which is considered, um, you know, a really strict standard uh, to meet to demonstrate that you have a certain expertise in handling other entities' confidential data, as well as your own confidential data. So, so we actually just completed our 2023 SOC 2 audit. We hire a third-party audit firm that comes in. They, they give us a massive questionnaire. We have to show documentation. We have to meet with them. We have to talk to them. We have to prove that we're um, expert in the way that we handle confidential data. Um, and we have a ton of different systems in place to ensure that the data that we receive is is uh, kept confidential and um, and protected at the highest levels possible. Got it. And do you stay updated on evolving um, unclaimed property statuses and associated case law for that matter? Definitely. Um, so um, I present at a conference annually. The National Association of State Treasurers hosts an unclaimed property conference, and I present on legal issues relating to that. I've done that for the past um, seven years. And as part of that process, um, I'm on a committee of the, the uh, Unclaimed Property Administrators Legal Committee, where we talk about and go through cases as they are developing. So I, I attend an annual meeting, excuse me, a monthly meeting for that, where we walk through the new cases, the pending cases, um, and then for the ones that are the most significant, um, uh, I will present on them uh, on an annual basis. We actually had a pretty big Supreme Court ruling within the last year relating to unclaimed property, which was the first one of those in many years. And so that attracted a lot of attention. But yeah, it is absolutely important to keep track of the case law. And then the state statutes are also constantly changing. So we are in touch with our state partners to make sure that if there are changes, we learn about them immediately. Um, in fact, we often will learn about them before they're enacted when they're when they're still in the legislative process uh, in committees and being discussed. We'll often we we often will, um, you know, give our thoughts on what they're putting together. And, you know, again, I think hearing from the field sort of what what's the impact of certain laws might be is something that the states um, find interesting and will often you know want to discuss. Got it. And is there maybe you like pre presented on this before? Has there been like a specific complex um, unclaimed property examination that you've handled in your role or something? The case? Um, so what I would say, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the unclaimed property examinations are complex. I think to answer your question on a slightly maybe a slightly different version of your question, I think one of the one of the hot button issues now that's a legal issue that is pending in a lot of different cases and different states have addressed this differently is whether or not states should pay interest to their uh, to the holders of the unclaimed property when they come forward. So let's say you have a $50 check that you forgot about that was owed to you from the electric company and that gets turned over to us to the state of Connecticut. When you go to collect that check 10 years later, should they be paying you interest on that? So instead of getting $50, you get $55. Or should you just be entitled to the $50? And I think the arguments, the argument in favor of no interest is, well, 
if that money was staying with the electric company, they wouldn't be paying you interest. They were not required to. But the argument in favor in the other way is, is, well, the state is now getting the benefit of holding that money and being able to earn interest on it themselves. Why should they profit from it and not share that with you? So I think that that's one of the the more hot button issues that's that's facing the states these days. Obviously, if they're going to pay interest, that's something that they have to factor into their budgets, make sure that they're uh, calculating the interest correctly. But there's actually right now a ton of litigation that's out there. Some of it's completed. Some of it is ongoing. And I expect that there will be more lawsuits that are out there that address this issue. Got it. And is there a way that you have you had maybe a difficulty to this in the past, but how do you ensure that the EECS professionals are well prepared and supported in their audit activities? Is there a way that you do that? Um, I am a, a, a close monitor of everything that goes on in the business. So there's very little that happens that I don't know about. Um, and so I'm constantly meeting with the auditors. I'm constantly reviewing their work. We're there. They have to provide updates to me sometimes on a daily basis, but uh, certainly on a weekly basis with anything that is even remotely worthy. I learn about it. We address it together. So this is not the kind of thing they're thrown into the bend to, you know, swim, figuring things out when they don't know how to. Uh, this is very much a process where it's my role to make sure to set them up for as much success as possible. And so, you know, a huge part of my job is monitoring their work, talking to them, making sure that I understand the uh, the ways that they're looking at particular property records. Um, and so there, there really isn't... Um, you know, a, a a sort of go and do it and come back to me and report things approach. It's much more of a let's do this collaboratively together and make sure that we're all on the same page and that I understand everything that's going on. Got it. And in terms of monitoring, could you share any um, potential insights that you have into like future trends or developments in the field of unclaimed property examinations? I think that, um, you know, the more that there is aggregated, what people will often refer to as big data out there. Um, and there are ways to analyze records and compare them against databases of information. That's going to become more the wave of the future. So one of the big areas that gets looked at is um, deaths of owners and, and the use of the Social Security Administration's death master file and other similar databases where um, you can compare a list of owners of property against a list of, of uh, that the federal government has of deceased owners and uh, instant, almost instantly identify uh, records that belong to deceased individuals, which I think would allow you to scrutinize those records a little bit more closely to understand why they're active and not not having been turned over to the state because death is typically something that is a a, a very dark red flag for this property would appear to be unclaimed right if somebody's dead they, they really can't claim the property so i think that's just one example but i think that the use of big data and technology to conduct the audits is just going to continue to increase and uh, allow for more efficiency um, in conducting the examinations. I think the other thing is, is, is 
On the other side of it is, is because we are a more connected world now and people are, you know, with, between email and text and various different ways of being contacted, losing contact with people, I think, is becoming less frequent. It's not to say it doesn't happen, but I think that there are just more avenues and creative avenues to to reach out to people and find them, obviously, if they're still alive. And so I think, you know, can those methods be leveraged for both companies and state governments to have greater success to find the owners of the unclaimed property to be able to return, you know, the money or the stock to them? So you think that technology is going to be helpful in this process? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it already is. I mean, it already has has had a huge impact on how the examinations are conducted, on the efficiency of the examinations, on the speed of the examinations. Um, and I think that that's just going to continue to, you know, develop. I think, you know, uh, you know, artificial intelligence also could end up, you know, like it's going to affect a lot of different industries, I think could uh, be a very useful tool in terms of identifying companies that should be audited that may be out of compliance. So I think AI is also, you know, the the next frontier as it as it is in you know many other industries as well. Got it. And would you, what advice would you give to someone who's aspiring to possibly work in the same field as you or is in a similar role? Yeah, I smile or laugh because this is not a, a an industry. I think that anybody is going to say. Uh, I want to go into unclaimed property. I think it's something that you just sort of like might learn about down the road and say, oh, this is pretty interesting. Maybe I'll do it at some point. I think I'll answer that question quickly, which is to say, you know, I think attention to detail and critical thinking are probably the two most important traits, uh, but those are also really important for a lot of jobs. Um, I think if you ask me that question as it relates to law overall, um, it's a much more nuanced answer, which is to say that I think law is one of the most misunderstood industries from people who want to get into it in the earlier years. So you're in high school, you're in college, um, and you're thinking about going to law school and becoming a lawyer. And I think there's often sort of this one view of what that's going to mean and what that's going to look like. And then there's an entirely different view of what it turns out to be. Um, just to compare it to, let's say, you know, medicine, I think, you know, there's always sort of a common uh, joke or cliche that, you know, regardless of what medical school you go to, if you graduate and you, you know, pass your boards, you're going to be a doctor and you, you know, you can have a, a good amount of success in your career. I think with law, that is definitely not the case. I think, you know, if you go to a top law school versus going to, you know, just to use the opposite end of the extreme uh, spectrum, a, a, a bottom tier law school, I think your experience in terms of your job prospects, what type of a legal career is open to you and, and available to you are going to be drastically different. And, you know, it may not matter. It may, you know, if you're somebody who says, I want to go into law to, you know, help, you know, the most underserved populations in the in in the country or or whatever else, it it, it probably matters less than to say, I if I, I want to go to law school to become a Supreme Court justice or to, you know, work at the most prestigious law firm in in the world, you know, I think that you're gonna have to sort of have a different view on it. So I think 
I, my ultimate sort of comment on your question is, is I think that there needs to be much more clarity and uh, re realism that is um, shared with high school and college kids as they're thinking about going to law school around, you know, this is the reality of what you can expect depending on where you end up going. Got it. And in your own case, do you think that if you could go back, would you still pursue law or would you um, maybe get an MBA or do you think that like what, like the way that it happened is the way that you would have been happy with it? Yeah, I don't know that I would have changed anything. I think I like the fact that I went to law school. Um, I think that the law firm experience was excellent training um, for really anything going down the road. Um the MBA degree itself, I think, is is um, not necessarily training. I mean, when people talk about getting the MBA, again, this is a bit of a cliche, but they talk about sort of the networking component of it. I think it's a, a bit of a, of a break for people. Uh, I've often heard people say that they had more fun in business school than they did in college, that there's a lot of, you know, partying and things like that that go on there. Um, so for me... I don't necessarily know that it would would have been helpful, but I think that you know what I would say is is there are a variety of paths that I could have taken. I think all of which would have been fine for me. I think the one that I chose was a good one, and and um, I I don't have any regrets about it. Uh, but if you said you know could you if you could do it all over again, would you do the same thing? I might say like oh I might want to try something totally different just because it's different. Um, mm -hmm. So it's not to say that I necessarily. Um, regret what I did. In fact, I don't regret it at all. I think it was a good path for me. I think it's just that um, I could see myself wanting to try another avenue just to try something different. Makes sense. Yeah. And just to sort of close off here, could you provide any advice for any viewers who are listening to this or anyone who is considering becoming a lawyer? Any advice for law school or just the process of joining a law firm or something like that? Yeah, I think... Um, the more you can know about what you think you want to do after law school, um, the better you can inform your own decision about whether law is the right avenue for you or not. You know, there are unfortunately a lot of people who go to law school with because it's sort of, you know, uh, an easy path and not e not that law school is easy, but it's sort of an easy decision to make to say, okay, that's the next thing to do. I don't have to get a job. I can go to law school or whatever else. But I think the reality is, is that you can end up in a significant amount of debt with a job that may not enable you to pay that debt off in a, in a, you know, reasonable time frame. And you may be doing something that you didn't think was what you were going to do. And so I think my advice would be to talk to as many people as you can to tell, you know, to and, and to try to answer the question, what do I want to do with this law degree? What's my goal? What's my job? You know, what's my intention? Um, and is that, is that whatever it is, is that something that I could do without the law degree where I don't have to take those three years and spend, you know, what now is probably, you know, $250,000 or more and put myself into that debt and to still have a, a similar or a, a good career. So I think, you know, uh, it, the, the business of law has changed certainly in the past 30 years and even more so, let's say, over the past 60 years. And I think 
it's no longer just, I'm going to go to law school, that's going to be my meal ticket, and everything is going to be fine. I think for a lot of people, um, it's actually quite the opposite. In fact, that there there has been there have been lawsuits about from law students who have not been able to get jobs out of law school who have said, you know, you, uh, you know, law school XYZ made it seem like this was going to be, you know, a pathway to, you know, guaranteed success. And, and it's been totally different. So I think, you know, knowing your options in terms of what law school you can get into, what that likely is going to mean for you, what you think you want to do with that after law school, and then really taking an honest assessment of whether or not what your goal is, is aligned with where you are in terms of, um, you know, what your op options are and, and opportunities are, I think is, is super important because it could be that they're not aligned at all, in which case you're going to be set up for major disappointment. So, you know, just to wrap it up, I would say talk to as many people as you can who are lawyers who are in the field who can tell you what it's like who can give you a vantage point of you know what what doors law school is going to open for you or potentially not open for you and then make as informed of a decision as you possibly can